Empty Set Entertainment presents Slay, created by Scott Sigler. This story is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, junkies. I am back from vacay and fully in the writing saddle. We had a great time in Michigan seeing friends and family, and I spent a week with my writing partner, Rob Otto, working on the future of Slay. We have the next four seasons all planned out. No, we're not holding a press conference at the four seasons. I'm talking about seasons two through five of the story you're listening to right now. We know where the story is going, and we know where it ends. The season five finale, which is the series finale, will be something grand to behold, I assure you. When will we write season two, you might ask? We don't expect it out until mid to late 2024, and it will be delivered as a podcast, just like season one, and then packaged up for print, audiobook, and ebook, just like Slay season one will be when I finish the story in a few weeks. So, without further ado, let's roll that beautiful season one footage. Let me get you caught up on the story, then we're all going to go down to the dollar store because they got a sale on 10-ply. Previously on Slay, Kalista ordered Lincoln to protect her from Dante's assassins, a murderer's row that includes Boss Hog, the Flechette sisters, and the druid sorcerer Oleus Oakbeard. Shitbird signaled to Lincoln that Dante's troops had been spotted. Kalista sent Lincoln and her boy toy Mercutio to take out an assassin or two before the real battle begins. Meanwhile, Billy tried to go to his apartment to warn his grandma to get out of there, but he saw Butch's men around the place and decided to bail and head back to the old stone church. Dante and Oleus were on the roof of Kalista's old four-story factory building using a cockeye to search for Lincoln. If they can find him, they can send the others to take him out. And now, episode 30 of Slay. The cockeye let out a choked gurgle. Its beach ball-sized eye swelled, the pupil contracting from the size of a fist to the tip of a finger. Blast, Oleus said. Kalista has powerful toys. Dante shook his head in disbelief. Powerful enough to kill a cockeye? Just how strong is she? The beast belched a final grunt, then the swollen eye burst like a popped zit. I do not think it was her directly, Olius said. I suspect it was a bit of old meshwork. Very old, perhaps. She has, however, activated her own dampening glamour. Combined with mine, I'm afraid we're already deep within the fog of war. Dante had ordered Olius to cast a dampening glamour, which stopped Kalista and her people from calling out for help or reinforcements. Wired wireless, and enlightened signals were fully blocked, or close to it. She'd cast her own dampener, and just like that, communication options were reduced to shouting, hand signals, dropping the battle into a gray zone of only sight and sound. A gray zone in which the man in gray was king. But it was too late to turn back now. 
This is unfortunate, Dante said. But it does not matter. Everyone knows objective. Are you ready to drop in on our friend Callista? Oleus slid his robe sleeves up to his elbows, revealing pale skin darkened with faded tattoos of ancient ruins. I will begin that work now. Mercutio's thumbs circled the surface of his hex-shaped medallion. The burnished bronze seemed to shimmer under his touch. He moaned low and in a way that did not make Lincoln feel very comfortable. Mm, Mercutio said. Blazing hells, man. Do you really got to make cummy noises when you do that thing? They stood in a secret passageway that apparently opened up behind a dumpster across the street from Callista's building. The club was in the building's basement. Below the club, a real-life maze. Damp stone walls, torches spaced out here and there, the works. Lincoln should have guessed Callista had a maze, what with a minotaur being her bodyguard and all. Mercutio's closed eyelids twitched and fluttered. His hips twitched forward like he was lightly humping the air. Man, you are so nasty, Lincoln said. Mercutio's eyes opened. The cockeye is dead. He slid the medallion into an ammo pouch of the combat webbing strapped over his form-fitting black armor. Dead? Seriously? Those things are pretty indestructible. Mostly, they are old magic. Mercutio patted the pouch holding the medallion. I have something even older, Jerogumo meshwork. The very mention of that word made Lincoln's skin crawl. Are you crazy, Merc? If the Bastion catches you using that spider shit, you are toast. Mercutio grinned. You don't say. And what, exactly, do you think your precious hatchet is made of? That took Lincoln aback. Bastard maker isn't Jorogumo meshwork. I know my weapons. Mercutio shrugged. As you wish. The pretty boy was full of shit. Still, next time Lincoln visited Cordis, he'd hit the clearinghouse and ask Peanut, who had sold him the bastard maker, if Mercutio was right. Man, that stupid Jorogumo prophecy destroyed my childhood, Lincoln said. My dad was obsessed with it. The famous Jacoby Franks knows the truth. Mercutio drew his sidearm, an FNX 45. The Moor's Moondy prophecy is real. He pulled a suppressor from his webbing, threaded it onto the sidearm's barrel. Although I can see why it might make a Rixator like you feel a tad nervous. Former Rixator, can we move now? With the cockeye dead and the dual dampening glamours rippling across the area, the only way to spot us is to see us. You know where we're going? No comms, no radios, no detection threads, no meshwork signals in or out. From this moment forward, it was all eyes and ears. And that suited Lincoln just fine. Yeah, I know. He reached into his cloak 
and pulled out his crossbow. Stay close to me and don't shoot unless I tell you to. Despite the night's cold, sweat drenched Billy's clothes. Once clear of his neighborhood, he'd pedaled hard for the church, waiting every moment for a cradle bat to dive bomb him, for a muscle-bound giant panther to pounce on him and tear him to shreds. He'd cut right and left whenever possible, avoiding extended runs down straight streets. His heart thudded and his lungs and legs begged him to stop, but he kept on through Kendrick Heights, past the hilltop projects, around the outskirts of Leopard Stadium, through Kalina Grove, and finally into the crumbling ruins of the factory district. At a burned-out corner store, Billy skidded to a stop. Chest heaving, he wiped sweat from his forehead and looked back the way he had come. No headlights. He had not been followed. He scanned the cloud-thick nighttime sky, looking for anything that flew. Nothing up there, either. Leaving the church had been a stupid move. He knew that now. But he had made it back in one piece. Sometimes, it was better to be lucky than smart. He wondered if Ariella and Magda even knew he'd left. Maybe they had noticed what Billy had done to the magic seal on the front door. He wasn't exactly sure how he'd opened that door in the first place, and he hadn't a clue how to fix whatever damage he had done. What if Magda was mad at him? What if she wanted to kick him out? Billy felt sick to his stomach. If they booted him from the church, where could he go? He was poisoned to his own grandmother. He couldn't go back to his apartment for fear of drawing Butch's men and Butch's wrath. If Billy left Lumencia, would Dante's killers find him? And who was he kidding anyway? He had no car, no money for a train ticket. He wasn't going anywhere. He'd be homeless and hiding. Unless he had broken through the church lock. Could he do the same with regular locks? Maybe he could steal some money, use that to get out of town. Maybe. Billy saw the old stone church up ahead. He'd once thought that sign out front, with its partially misspelled words and plastic letters littering the ground, was a stupid thing. Now, it was a beacon drawing him in. The bell tower rose up some 30 feet, a veritable stone skyscraper in this area where the church was one of the only buildings left standing. Billy ditched the bike behind a collapsed brick wall, then walked the last hundred yards or so. He glanced over his shoulder, looked left and right and up, no one there. He walked up the chipped concrete steps and put his hands on the door, thinking about the seal's meshwork, trying to let it know he was there. The seal responded. Pale blue energy vibrated around the door. Billy saw the fibers within the light. He had ripped at them, which made his hands hurt like he had pulled at razor wire. He closed his eyes, tried to visualize the threads, visualize the fibers. Not knowing what else to do, 
Billy tried to will the door to open for him. It's me, he said softly. Open up real quiet, okay? Real quiet. Don't wake Magda. So quiet even Dragon don't hear. It's me. Please, open. The pale blue energy fluttered, pulsed erratically with emerald green and lemonade yellow light. Then it faded out, and Billy knew the spell would allow him to enter. He'd have to figure out how all this stuff really worked. That alone was reason enough to stay at the church with Magda and with Lincoln. And with Dragon. It hit Billy all at once that if he left, or if he was kicked out, he would never see the little dog again. The thought made his heart hurt. Billy had never had a pet. When he had stormed out and left Dragon sitting the entryway, his frustration and fury at Lincoln and Dante had masked a deeper emotion, a stronger one. Billy had fallen hopelessly in love with that little, black-furred wiener dog. I'll make it work here, Billy whispered. I'll make it work. As quietly as he could, he turned the handle and gently pushed the heavy door inward. Billy felt a small, cold circle of metal press against the back of his head. Surprise, motherfucker, Butch whispered. It's been a minute. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. On a remote island in Frigid Lake Superior, a fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong. Available wherever you get your podcasts. You ain't as smart as you think you are, Butch said. Balake saw you sneaking around your place. A bike, little bee? Could you be any more pathetic? We were right behind you the whole way. You really didn't see us? If Billy wanted to shake his head, he couldn't, not with Money Monday, pressing a pistol barrel against his temple. No, Billy said, watching Money out of the corner of his eye. Not a bit. Well, fuck the Chrysler 300. Butch needed to get a truck like Boss Hogs. Hogg had said that he had made it stealth, I say, I say, stealthy as hell. Butch drove the truck with money in the passenger seat. Bulake and the boys had packed into the truck's bed. A tight fit for 15 guys, but they had managed. 
Through the windshield, Billy's hands had looked all cut up, oozing weird orange shit that evaporated into an electric mist. The glow made it child's play to follow the boy, even when Billy rode his bike through side streets and back alleys. Seeing that mist, and, Butch suspected, being able to drive the big white truck at all, probably had something to do with the dabs of nurple he and the boys had dropped. So much crazy, magic shit in the neighborhood. Had that stuff always been there? Butch had no idea. The talking mailbox had been one hell of a trip, but it was nothing compared to seeing Boss Hog's true form. Dude had the head of a boar, complete with tusks, a hairy piggy nose, and pointy ears poking out from under the white cowboy hat. Balake, Butch said. Leave Clarence and Z-Man out front. Send Durante and Mac around the back. Get everyone else in here and keep them quiet. Balake slid past the men filtering in through the front door. The rolling outlaws found space in the church's entryway, gathering on one of those candle things that people use for prayers. It was also a charging plug for an EV, which looked out of place amidst the stone block walls. Butch kept looking around, searching for what Boss Hog had warned against. A protector. What was a protector, exactly? You'll know it when you see it, Boss Hogg had said. The gold ring Hogg had given Butch was supposed to bind the protector, magically tie it up and render it helpless. Hogg even made Butch remember magic words for the thing. Hick Menebinus. The last of Butch's men entered the church. Balake pulled the front door closed. Butch turned to face Billy. Keep real quiet, little bee. If you don't, money will put a bullet in your head. Anyone home we should know about? Billy's eyes remained fixed on money's gun, a side eye of pending death. Magda's here, he said. You don't want to meet her. Believe that. You should just go. Butch leaned in close. Magda, huh? You think some bitch is going to get you out of this? Billy said nothing. This asshole killed Big Hack, Money said. See if Hogg will let us ventilate his tiny brain. Butch pulled his cell phone from his pocket. Lil B, the guy we're working with told us not to kill you right away. He hit Hogg's number. This call I'm making right here, Billy? It might be your ass. The call went straight to voicemail, signified only by a single beep. We got him. Butch said into the phone. Let me know what's what. Put the phone back in his pocket. A deep dog growl made the hair on his arm stand on end. He looked toward the double doors that probably led into the church proper, expecting to see a Rottweiler, maybe even a goddamn wolf. But instead, in a doggy door, down on the floor, he saw the head and front legs of a little wiener dog with long, flowing black fur. Its tiny lip curled up from tiny white teeth. God damn, Money said. Little dude's growl so heavy, he's like the bing reins of canines. The dog didn't trot out of the door. It stalked, crouching down low, hackles rising up on its back. Dragon, get out of here, Billy said. 
Run! Urgency in Little B's voice. Urgency and desperation. Dragon, Butch said. That's a dumb fucking name for a dog. The dog growled louder. A disturbing sound that seemed to make the stone walls vibrate. The long, little body started to tremble. Uh, Butch? Money aimed his pistol at Dragon. Is it me? Is that dog getting bigger? Butch stared. Butch blinked. Yes, the dog was elongating and thickening. The head, eyes, and teeth grew larger. A sound like hundreds of chicken bones snapping and fracturing. The dog's long fur seemed to clump together in bunches that widened, hardened, pointed backward to lie flat against the burgeoning body. It took only seconds. Where there had been a fluffy little wiener dog, now sat the coiled form of a... of a... That is a motherfucking dragon, Balake said. A skinny one, like they got on the menus at Dynasty Chinese. Am I high? I think I'm high. Fur had become scales, hard and gleaming and black as night. Little paws had become chest-wide claws tipped with daggers of pointed onyx. Soft eyes had become merciless things, eyes of anger and fury with huge, spiked eyebrows. Thin little whiskers had become wavering tendrils like those of a massive black catfish. What had been all of two feet long was now at least 15 feet long, solid muscle and pure malevolence. Holy shit, Billy said. Holy shit! The dragon coiled tighter, rose higher. It opened a mouthful of murder teeth, and it roared. The rolling outlaws panicked. All around Butch, men shoved pistols into pants or side holsters, or just dropped them altogether. They packed against the door, trying to open it. The door's edges flashed with a pale blue light. The door would not open. Butch pulled the golden ring from his finger. The dragon hissed with both sound and curling smoke. Furious eyes narrowed, and the head snaked closer to Money Monday. Fuck this, Money said, and he fired three shots at the monster. If the bullets hit, they did nothing. Holy shit, Billy said again. The dragon's mouth opened wide. Like a striking snake, it shot toward a wide-eyed Money Monday. Hit Menebinus, Butch said, and threw the ring at the coiled beast. With a flash of tawny light and a sizzle of magic, the ring seemed to explode, its golden metal stretching into a thin wire net that wrapped itself around the dragon. The beast's huge claws tried to rip at the wire to hold it at bay, but the metal was alive, a hungry thing that stretched and reached and constricted, that pressed the short arms against the long body, that wrapped around the tooth-filled maw and slammed it shut. The long beast dropped to the floor like a python curled in upon itself, tied up with gleaming golden wire. 
large nostrils, let out jets of smoke. But other than that, the monster did not move. Shit, Balake said. Put your Spider-Man the hell out of that ugly thing. Am I high? I think I'm high. The rolling outlaws were still shoving at each other, trying to get the front door open. Knock it off, Butch said. I took care of it. Pick up your goddamn guns. Heads turned. Terrified, disbelieving eyes stared. Hands snatched up, dropped weapons. This is some crazy shit, Money said. He aimed his pistol at the big head, fired three more times. Nothing happened. The seething, bound dragon blinked its hateful eyes, eyes that bore into Butch. A quizzical expression darkened Money's features. He looked at the pistol in his hand. Is it getting warmer in here? He then yelped, tossed the pistol away, and waved his hand like it had been stung by a dozen bees. The others cried out as well. Butch, again, heard weapons clattering against the floor. Man, that should burn my hand, Blake said. Butch, what the fuck is going on? Butch hadn't a clue. The air above each gun shimmered from heat. The double doors that led into the church proper swung inward. Two women stepped through. One in a little black dress that would have fit in at a swank nightclub. The other in pajamas and carrying a wooden staff. The woman in the dress clutched at a necklace of turquoise chunks and little metal baubles. The necklace glowed with a magic aura not unlike what had leaked from Billy's hands. Pajamas stepped in front of little back dress and dropped into a half crouch. Three ragged scars lined the side of her face. Her hair stuck out in crazy bedhead curls. Billy, she said, is this the butch you've been telling me about? Little B ran to the bound monster, knelt next to it, yanked at the golden wire that did not budge. Yeah, he said, that's butch. Pajamas spun the staff once, adjusted her grip on it. You done messed up, Butch, she said. You and your boys messed up real, real bad. Shitbird was going to get all the stale bread, dead cockroaches, rotten hamburger crumbs, and cigarette butts Lincoln could find. The Flechette sisters stood across the street in the loading dock at the rear of Callista's building, along with their big panthers and four men, two armed with AR-15s, one with a squat Sig Sauer MPX submachine gun, and one with a battle axe. We should have brought more people, Mercutio said. Shut up, Lincoln said. Before the double-dampening fields locked down, Shitbird had channeled thoughts of the loading dock to Lincoln. The crow had also spotted Dante and Oleus Oakbeard. And Oakbeard's Crattlebats. Lincoln had felt the bird's fear. If the old water tower Shitbird perched on hadn't been caked with droppings before, it surely was now. Thanks to those dampening fields, no more aerial reconnaissance from the crow. 
Lincoln could see the flechettes, but from street level, he could not see if Oakbeard, Dante, and Dante's thugs were still up on the roof. Not knowing where the druid was made Lincoln more than a little bit uneasy. Is your connection with Calista strong enough to cut through this interference? Mercutio closed his eyes, made a small moaning sound. Of concentration this time, thankfully. Can't reach her, he said. I know how to navigate around her threadwork, but not Oakbeard's. The druid is good. I'm sure Calista is dancing now, so her power will grow, and maybe I can reach her in a few moments. Lincoln glanced at the armored man. Dancing? She out of her fucking mind? Mercutio grinned and shook his head, as one does when talking to a very stupid person. Dance is a metaphor representing sorcery of the grandest scale. My mistress spreads a tantric tumult in which she will sacrifice her enemies to the greater glory of Mephistopheles and or the spirit of Nichelle Nichols. Uh, tantric tumult? You mean, like, sex magic, Mercutio said. My mistress is most likely engaged in a hurried bout of group coitus to hone her powers for the coming battle. And I do mean coming. Well, wasn't that a kick in the pants? If Lincoln was going to buy the farm tonight, it would have been nice to knock patent leather boots with that woman. She was an evil, ruthless gangster, and quite possibly a literal demon in disguise, but holy fuck was she hot. So, uh, you and Calista have hooked up? Many times, Mercutio said. Copious amounts of glistening fornication, mind-bending orgasms spectacular beyond the stars, beyond time and space. In other words, that is some first-class coochie. Not that the likes of you will ever find out, Rixator. I told you I'm not a Rixator anymore. Not that the likes of you will ever find out, former Rixator. Now... Are you going to sit here, mentally spanking off in that withered, chromag excuse of a brain of yours? Are you going to do as mistress commands and address these vile miscreants? This kid had a mouth on him. Lincoln wanted to punch that mouth, but that would have to wait. Can they reach the club from the loading dock? Not directly, Mercutio said. The club is sealed off from the rest of the building, but the loading dock has two hidden doors that lead to secret passages. One to the club itself, and one to the... Oh, never mind. A person like you wouldn't want to know. It's probably some sex dungeon thing where Kalista was in the middle of a hurried orgy to power up her threadwork batteries. Well, can you open the doors quickly? Seal them just as fast? Of course, Mercutio said. But won't doing so provide a way for them to enter Mistress's fortress? Not if we hit them fast, scatter them. We take out who we can. I eliminate one of the sisters. We get to the door that leads to the church, seal it up behind us, then regroup with Kalista and Bobby. I'd rather we take out all the miscreants we see right now. We can do that, Lincoln said. As long as you're down for being mauled by a giant panther or being eaten alive by a swarm of cradle bats. Do uh, either of those things push your sexy time buttons? Mercutio glanced up to the roof of Calista's building, saw nothing, just as Lincoln had seen nothing. The kid got it. Oleus Oakbeard was around here, somewhere. 
Such options are not in my particular kink wheelhouse, Mikushio said. We do it your way. Let's get it on, Donkey Kong. Lincoln had half expected Mercutio to tap out, to make an excuse to avoid the actual fighting. Surprise, surprise. I'll lead the way, Lincoln said. As soon as I engage, you get to the door that leads to the dance floor. By the time you get it open, I'll be there. If you get a chance to take out any of the goons, do so. But do not engage the flechettes unless you want to wind up as panther poop. You got it? Mercutio nodded. He was scared, but also focused. He wore his devotion to Kalista on his armored sleeve. Yeah, that had to be some first-class coochie. Stay close, Lincoln said. Let's rip him a new asshole. have been listening to Slay, created and read by Scott Sigler. Copyright 2023, Empty Set Entertainment. For more information on the author and more books, visit scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song They're Watching Me by the band Superweapon. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.